Now, what am I going to preach on? Here's, here's what I'm going to preach on. So, all weekend, those of you who have been here, have heard a statement of the universality and the authority and the bindingness and the perpetuity and the intensity of the Great Commission. And you've heard that Jesus starts it with saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's such a freeing statement. You know, we don't have to go around cringing that maybe the federal government won't let us fulfill the Great Commission. We don't have to cringe in front of the Muslims. We don't have to cringe in front of the Buddhists. And we certainly don't have to cringe in front of that godless man, Brian McLaren. All right? We don't have to cringe in front of postmodern culture and narcissism and inclusivity and the hatred for distinctions that permeates our world. Because the distinction that Jesus says is all authority has been given to me. You know, some of you are aware of the way I absolutely, I'm like, a, I'm like a dog with a bone on what I call the R2K error, which is Christian reform men who try to say that we should have a religion in private, you know, and that it has no bearing on the state. And this last week I was reading an article in a Roman Catholic publication where the Roman Catholic author was bemoaning the fact that Roman Catholics today no longer call for countries to be under the authority of Rome. So he's going on and on about, you know, the Middle Ages were great because then we had, we had countries that, that were part of the Holy Roman Empire, you know. And here I am, a Protestant, looking at this Roman Catholic and what should I be thinking? Well, what I should be thinking is, well, I'm so glad that we Protestants have finally gotten the concept of separation of church and state. <laughs> uh-uh. I'm not. Because why? Because the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I'm so aware that the things that we have as a nation that are blessings to us are the heritage of mothers and fathers in the faith who died giving us what we have today. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking America is a Christian nation today. It's not. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that America is not a Christian nation. <laughs> and they're both true. Do you understand this? Our heritage is Christian. We don't allow any of the three branches of government to oppress any of the other three branches of government. Why? Because our forefathers and foremothers believed in what? Total depravity. And so they believed in a separation of powers and a balance of powers. We have the depravity of man written into the constitution of our country. And I think that's wonderful. I'm so glad that our president is somewhat disciplined in the imperial presidency. Okay, I'm so glad that maybe someday we'll be able to impeach our, impeach our justices. You understand this? So we have a Christian nation, and our nation, the United States, is godless, right? And so all weekend you're hearing the authority. Blesses the nation whose God is the Lord. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in heaven and in heaven. But that's not what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, right? 
And so if you're like me, you've been sitting listening to the sermons, and what you've found yourself thinking is, does not compute. The disparity between what we hear proclaimed and what we experience in our own hearts, our own homes, our own marriages, our own churches, let alone our own city, our own state, our own government, let alone the Northern Hemisphere, is so awful that we go, is this like a fairy tale? Is this like, na 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 You know, if I entered an alternative world and now I'll come back to the real world Monday. And so as Christians... Every single time we come under the preaching of the word, every single time we open the Bible, every single time we sing hymns, we are proclaiming the authority of Jesus Christ over this world. But I got to tell you, when I was younger, I bought several diesel rabbits. And diesel rabbits have something that I miss, which is when you're in a diesel rabbit driving past a semi slightly faster, somehow diesel motors have like an affection for each other. And so you can actually hear the dissonance between the two engines when you're driving a diesel. And I'd go by these semis slightly faster because a diesel rabbit will never go fast, right? And I'd hear the engines going, right? Dissonance. And that's, that's a good char- characterization of what we live in as Christians, right? That we hear the authority proclaimed and we look around. It's not what I experience. I don't know about you. And so what we have to do is we have to go to Scripture and listen to it and hear it. And one of the things that I am convinced that we refuse to hear is what you already confessed already in this service, which is that the judgments of God are precious. You remember when you said that earlier in the service? It's going on about Scripture and the law of God being precious, and it says that the judgment of God is precious, right? If I were to ask you how many of you think that the judgment of God is precious, if I were to ask you how many of you lie awake at night trying to go to sleep and comfort yourself in bed at night thinking of the coming judgment of God, you know, the way I lay it, awake at night last night thinking about how beautiful my garden is. You know, you have these things that you think about as you're going to sleep that give you comfort. I wonder if there's anybody here that takes comfort from the word of God that promises the coming judgment. Is the judgment of God precious to us? I mean, come on, people. Probably, if it is precious to you, that's because you're twisted. In other words, even if one of you can claim that the judgment seat of God is precious, it's because your life is ruled by bitterness and anger. But what I want to know is, is there anybody here who lives a godly life, who part of your godliness is counting precious the judgment of God on wickedness? Is there anybody here who is like righteous Lot, whose soul is just filled with with 
about this world and who is counting the seconds and the days and the months and the years until what? Until the trumpet of God is going to sound. And the dead in Christ will be raised first. And then we who are alive, who have not yet slept, will be caught up together with them and we will see the Lord. And you say, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, that's precious to me. I say, okay, so then what happens? And you go, well, well, I just told you, we'll see the Lord. And the dead in Christ. And that, that's my mother, and that's my grandfather, and that's my grandmother, and that's my brother, and that's my sister. I say, oh yeah, your brother who is homosexual? Well, why did you have to bring that up? See? There you have it. You're postmodern. You hate distinctions. You hate God's judgment seat. You hate that God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. You hate it. I hate it. You hate it. We all hate it. Because we've been taught the distinctions are bad. And a truly integrated God, (laughs) you know, is going to be in touch with his, like, wrathful side and realize he repented of that when the New Testament started. And so... You don't know God, and you don't love God, and you certainly don't know what Planned Parenthood does to our babies. You don't gnash your teeth over what goes on in South College. You can drive down South College ten times a week, and it never occurs to you that little babies are getting ripped to shreds on your left before you get to Kroger. There are There are multiple people in this church who's killed their own babies. They've killed their babies. And it means nothing to you because you think, well, I didn't do it. It doesn't cause you to gnash your teeth that we have men who claim, women who claim to be judges, who say it's good, that we have a president who says that if his children got into trouble, he would want them to kill his grandchildren. It doesn't matter to you that Thailand is filled with men from the United States who are having sex with little children. It doesn't matter to you that orphanages funded by American missions dollars have had men from America having sex with the orphans in their orphanages while we supported them from our missions dollars. And I could go on and on and on. And the fact is, it's our sisters, it's our brothers, it's our mothers, it's our fathers, it's our mission dollars, it's our brothers and sisters in this church. And that's the reason why the judgments of God are horrible to you. And your God is an idol. Your God is an avuncular, he's a grandfatherly, he's handing out candy, and he's integrated. And he never judges sin. And what I can't figure out is how then do you understand Jesus Christ? How do you understand Jesus Christ? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? (laughs) Think about it. Which son are you going to give up? Hmm? It's the only way. 
then you've got the emergent dudes. They're telling us, well, there could have been other ways, but, you know, God chose this way. that He give his only begotten son. Years ago, a young man came to this church, and he was a piece of work. He was full of himself and full of despair. He just moved back here to the United States from England, and he sat on the carpet in front of our fireplace, and he engaged in front of our small group in what I would call existential angst. He went on and on about how he knew nothing, he had a godly heritage, he, he told us, but he didn't own it. And he was a master violinist. He'd been trained at the Royal Academy in early music. He was a snob of snobs. Probably his mother had made him that way. <laughs> it's just a joke. <laughs> it's Jody, by the way. And his mother's here, and I know that. <laughs> And Jody was asked by this church to begin to lead with electronic instruments instead of highbrow classical snob instruments. And Jody submitted to the request. And then Jody was asked to write about the judgment of God. The judgment. Give us some tunes about that part of God's character and his history that will open up for us a vision of the judgment seat of God. And so Jody did it. He did it. He did it. And we have watched Jody. He'll, he'll be one of the men we're ordaining. Not, there's not a person in this place that will not be united with our hands when they're laid on Jody tonight. Because Jody has decreased so that God will increase. And Jody wrote a tune. You know what it is? It's called Hiding Place. It's far and away my favorite thing they've ever done. Why? Because I go through life thinking that God is mocked and that we won't reap what we sow. <laughs> because look at the fat cats, you know, their eyes are bulging, you know. They never have pains like the rest of us, you know. I, I'm an idiot. I'm a brute beast. And then, then what? Now, if you know what I'm quoting, you should know what I'm quoting should know I'm quoting Psalm 73. Then I enter the house of God. And then your son is in front of me and he's leading me in worship. And it's not about his ego. It's not about the ego of any man up there. Jody is a servant of God. And he sings his song, Hiding Place. And if ever an electronic instrument was designed for something, it was designed for giving a picture of the judgment of God. There's nothing that can do it like an electronic guitar. 
electric guitar, nothing, and drums, because it's a horrible thing. The judgment seat of God is horrible. But you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us the people of God count it precious. Did you know that? Did you know that righteous Lot gnashed his teeth? God's holiness precious to you? Do you hate your sin? Do you see your sin? Do you hate it? Not my sin. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> but your sin, not your husband's, not your older sister's, but your sin. Do you hate your sin? Do you gnash your teeth at your sin? Now, listen. Our sermon text is a very, very famous chapter. I have one book in my library. The whole book is about chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. You know why everybody loves chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians? It's because it's the resurrection chapter. It's the chapter you always hear preached at at funerals. All right? And listen to the part that I've selected for our sermon text this afternoon or this morning, I guess I'm probably still this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with first. Good, you put it up because I don't have it here. Okay, look. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your saying? You see this? The Apostle Paul is taunting death. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brethren, and brethren includes cistern, all right, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So, so this is my hope at the end of the week, weekend. You know the preaching? Be steadfast and immovable. And Bailey specialize in that. <laughs> you ever met Heather? <laughs> ever met me? Ever met my brother David? You remember my brother Nathan? Steadfast, immovable? You bet. Steadfast and movable, John Baker, you bet. Huh, wife? And why? Because we know that in Christ our labors are not in vain. Now listen, take it back up to, to verse 51. Behold, 
What you know what that means? What that means is, okay, listen up, everybody. Okay, everybody's being told, important, listen, he who has ears, behold, look. I say this, brethren, excuse me, I tell you a mystery. Now, um, what is a mystery? A mystery is something that most people don't know, right? wouldn't be a mystery if everybody knew it. And so the Apostle Paul saying to us, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Listen, look, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. And I want you to see that right there, you have the thing that is so obnoxious to postmoderns. We hate it. And you say, wait, wait, I'm not hating anything. Postmoderns love mysteries. Yeah, but this one's divisive. You understand that you're here because you love Jesus Christ, and therefore you have this mystery revealed to you, but you know that you walk. I was thinking today what would be a good title for this sermon if it weren't that I title sermons from Scripture. And a good title for this sermon would be The Walking Dead. (laughs) You're surrounded by people who have no idea what is about to hit them. They don't know that God is exclusive. They don't know that God delights in hiding himself from them. Eric Rasmussen, a few years ago, wrote a paper on this and gave it to a bunch of muckety-muck academics at Yale. And the paper was about God delighting in hiding his truth from men. (laughs) Do you delight in that? You know what the problem of many of you is? The problem is that you have a compassion that's larger than God's and that's broader than God's and that refuses to make distinctions. And you think God owes you the souls of your loved ones. God has no obligation to give you any person that you demand he gives to you. Do you understand that? God is exclusive. God is not inclusive. Except when it comes to you. And then it's mind-boggling that he, that he is including you, right? You realize this. The fact that you are having this mystery revealed. The fact that you have heard him say, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This moves you from the walking dead to the walking living. And you have just left behind every single person you know and love, every single person you've ever witnessed to, who has not come under the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is reserving them for the day of judgment. And all of a sudden you go, well, you know, my God doesn't do that. My God has died for everybody, and it's just a question of whether or not they want him. I say, who is your God? Honestly, who is your God? Your God is is impotent. If your God can't accomplish the saving of an individual soul, but is dependent on that soul wanting to be saved, choosing to be saved, praying the sinner's prayer, getting baptized, joining a church, doing everything that an individual soul is called to do, God has done everything he can except all these things that the individual soul must do. 
then your God is impotent. God is the author of division. Do you understand this? God is the author of mysteries that he reveals to you today here and that he is not revealing to those who are not here today. I have seen worship services at this church. I've seen one service where I sat there and I thought through who was not present at the service. And it grieved me at that service. And I knew in my heart that this was God's decree that the people weren't here. And when I thought of what they missed by not being here, my heart was broken. It wasn't my fault. And really, in one sense, you can say it wasn't their fault. God made the decision. Do you know what the Bible says? Jesus, this was a theme with Jesus. Jesus would say things like this. Matthew 13, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And we're okay with that. To you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You know what it says next? It says, But to them it has not been granted. You know, and we're always okay with God's yes, never okay with God's no. <laughs> you know, God's, you know, say yes to me. Say yes to my sister. Say yes to my next door neighbor. God, would you just please say a bunch of yeses, you know? Because, you know, if you were in an integrated God, you wouldn't feel the need to get angry. First Corinthians 4, speaking of the pastorate, it says, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and what? Stewards of the mysteries of Christ. God is divisive. God is particular in his redemption. God's atonement through his son is limited. God elects souls. God hides truth to some and reveals it to others. And you are here this morning and you have heard him say to you, Behold, I tell you a mystery. And so you're in, and you can either spend your time being scandalized that others are out, or you're humble, and you thank him that he has lifted you up out of the pit and set your feet on a high rock. Remember about Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that bright man who was a pastor in New England in Northampton? Very big brain man. Yale's producing like a 75,000 volume critical edition of his works. You know, they think he's very bright. You have to pay 150 bucks per volume or something like that. I forget what it's at now. He was a godly pastor. And he tells us about his early time 
as a young boy, and he says that when he was a young boy, it used to torment him that God saved some and did not save others. And he used to just shake it and just turn it over in his brain around and around and around and around and around. And then he gives us an account of how one day it changed. You know how it changed? Well, one day he was writing a philosophical treatise on fairness, as Americans would understand it. Now, one day he was out in the fields and all of a sudden, just worship came over him. (laughs) Just worship. And he all of a sudden saw the glory of God and he gave himself just to worship. It wasn't a philosophical solution. And he describes it, probably the greatest philosophical mind America's ever had. He describes it as he's caught up in worship and he starts like, <laughs> oh man, my wife would have a fit, so I won't do it. But there's, there's a particular construction I want to use that was always used in the olden days. All right, but I won't use it. All right. But all of a sudden he just, he just, he just lets loose with praise. And then he accepts the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that some will be saved and others will be damned. And then you know what he says? He says not much, really. But one of the things he says is, he says before then, thunder and lightning were always scary to him. After that, thunder and lightning became some of the most comforting things in his life. Does that sound like a guy that finally gets it? You think of Stonewall Jackson? I'm as safe at the front of the battlefield as I am lying in bed. (laughs) You know? So Mary Lee and I, this last week, we walk out on the porch. Mary Lee and I love to go look for tornadoes and, 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 and try to dare lightning to strike us, you know. That's not really true. With Mary Lee, it is, actually. <laughs> Everybody feels sorry for my wife because I'm so intense. You should feel sorry for me. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, let, let's be honest. My wife has, you, you know. So anyhow, Jonathan Edwards says all of a sudden, Lightning and thunder become precious to him. Listen, you will never live for God. You will never become holy. You will never be sanctified until you fear God. And until you take delight in thunder and lightning and in his dispensation of judgment. Do you understand this? You cannot know God without treasuring his judgment. And so here's what I'm going to do. You look at this, and here's what it says. Behold, I tell you, mystery will not all sleep, but we all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And so what we see there is that very soon, very, very soon, Jesus will not come as a baby in a cave or a stable 
with only Mary and the cows and the shepherds seeing him. That's not the next time, people. The next time, the Bible says, every eye will see him. Every eye. The Bible tells us that the trumpet will sound, and I'm telling you, that trumpet does not have a mute in it. And that trumpeter is not trying to blow an uncertain note. He's not trying to fit in with the combo. The purpose of that trumpet is to send a clear note that will summon every eye to see the coming of the King of Glory. And when the King of Glory comes, some will be gathered up to him. And they will be with the Lord forever, and they will see all the fruit, because at the marriage feast of the Lamb, people will be present dressed in their righteous acts. That's the marriage feast's bride's garments, the fruit of the church. That's what you'll be dressed in. And the party will be mind-boggling. All you teetotalers, there's going to be wine there. I guarantee you, if Jesus made it for the wedding of Cana, there will be tons of it. It might be good scotch. And nobody's going to be an alcoholic. (laughs) You know? And there's going to be singing, and it's not going to be a cappella or psalter only. Because we already know the trumpet sounded. Right? Right? It's going to be unbelievable, people. It's going to be unbelievable. And then what? Then what? And you say, would you please stay away from that? And I say, look, you have spent your life in churches where they stayed away from that. I won't do it. I won't do it. This must be precious to you. Now hear the word of God, because this is a picture of what you're anticipating and looking forward to. Are you with me? Okay, here it is. After these things... I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth, the commentators are are divided over whether this angel is Jesus Christ or an angel. They don't know, all right? But he has great authority. And the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. I mean, come on. Last time, (laughs) John was trying to help me. Because I yelled it, and he turned me way down. He caught it from me for doing that. So you're not going to do it this time, right? Okay, cover your ears. Babies, put a blanket over their heads. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great! She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And how can you hear that without thinking of the United States of America? And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. 
I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified her... America? That she glorified herself and lived sensuously? To the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. And I will never see mourning. For this reason... In one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her. Is what? He's strong. He's strong. He he be strong, good buddy. Okay. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her. What is the main American export? What is it, people? It's code that makes porn able to come more quickly into your computers. You know that porn has always driven the technology of the Internet? You know what drove VCRs? Kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood, every article of ivory, every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume, frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city! She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such Great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. 
Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment. You want to talk about a does not compute statement of scripture. It's here. For you? For you? Do you identify with this judgment? Does this judgment give you comfort? Do you count this judgment precious? Is there one of you that would say to God, thank you? Because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found, what? The blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on the earth. All who have been slain. And after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservant on her. And a second time they said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. That was beautiful. Out of the mouths of babes. Can you say hallelujah to that? Or is your pornography precious to you? Your sensuality. You're patriotic. You won't hear that negative confession about the whore of Babylon. Okay. Now, Jody has been faithful. This is my favorite people's music they've ever done. I want you to begin to love it. Okay? And then when they're done with this piece of music, which points us to the judgment of God, Then, the next song on the album is what? Do any of you remember? Huh? Rock of Ages. And you're going to see, with the musicians leading us, you're going to see the precious warning of the judgment of God and then the promise of the salvation of our Lord. And we'll get to sing the salvation. You want to sing the judgment, sing the judgment too. All right? But give thanks to God that he's given us musicians who are finally using their instruments and their gifts. Finally in Bloomington. Finally. For what they're ordained to be.